Hello and welcome to Do The Franchise with me, Jake. And me, James. And we are back with another Batman, but it's not just any Batman, James. It's the last Batman before they reboot Batman again. <laughs> yeah, it, it's the it's the last Batman film that you'll ever want to see before they do another one. Yeah, that's a really good way of putting it. Um, this is, of course, The Dark Knight Rises. Obligatory follow-up to The Dark Knight. Um, I was going to say, was this released 2012? 2012. I haven't even got that written 2012. down. That's bad, isn't it? This is yeah, well, no. I mean, that's that's how well researched we are. You knew, <laughs> you knew without having it written down. You knew. I'm still going back to check it. Yeah, 2012. Yeah, it's it's a 2012 movie um, that uh, Nolan supposedly wasn't too uh, excited about making initially. Yeah, so... until he started working on the story, which I think's telling of an artist. You know, he it wasn't is. just yeah. in it for the money. They say that he wasn't ever going to do another one after Dark Knight if it didn't suit the story that would close that universe, which I guess this this is so out of left field as a story, so different to the other two, but at the same time loops the first one to the third one, you know, really well, doesn't it? So I guess if you've seen it, you'll know what I'm saying. If you haven't seen it, you probably shouldn't even be listening to this anyway. <laughs> but, um, yes, spoilers, by the way. Yeah, definitely. Many, Big many spoilers. spoilers. It's good. I, I really like it. I think I like it more now I go back and watch it and I've got a little bit of like fondness for the nostalgia of it and it being one of those films that is just so big in every sense. Mm. Like, and you know what I mean by that? Like the scale of this film transcends anything that you really see on modern cinema screens today like it's just big it's a big 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 film are you insinuating that it was filmed on imax it, well, it, it was is. filmed on imax and it was <laughs> and that's a lot bigger than regular regular film this is um, it. <laughs> it, 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 it is a huge film it, it it has a sense of grandeur and i think you're right in saying the way it loops the first one in it feels like it's a sequel to Batman Begins. Yeah, more so more than The so Dark than, Knight. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I like that. There Obviously, there's Dark Knight references. <laughs> it, you know, the film starts off with a Harvey Dent eulogy and stuff like that. So the, it definitely acknowledges that The Dark Knight happened, but it's more of a Batman Begins sequel. Yeah, I'd forgotten. It's more of a Batman film, but yeah. Yeah, I'd forgotten about that until you just brought it up. I'd forgotten that it starts with Harvey Dent. That's how it mm. starts. In a way, Dent kind of gets lost in this film. He's not really a big... It's like you say, there's, an, there's, a, there's a reference to him at the beginning. There's a reference to him when Bane takes over the city. But there's not really a lot of... We know that Gotham has recovered um, from its crime wave as a result of a Dent Act, which was an act initiated by law enforcement to clean up the city of, of organised crime. This basically yeah. harks back to zero tolerance in New York, doesn't it, in the 80s? Um, this is eight years have elapsed between Batman, sorry, Dark Knight and, and Dark Knight Rises, in which Batman has disappeared. Um, we get that wonderful little eulogy at the beginning, and then you're kind of straight in. There's a really beautiful bit as well before we skip so far through. Is it right at the beginning of the film where they show the Batman logo? In all three of the films, we see the Batman logo in different ways. In the first one, it's in the bats in the sky, 
In the second yeah. one, it's in the in the flames, the Joker's sort of fire, isn't it? And then in the third one, it's the ice cracking underneath, and then as it cracks, the cracks form the bat for a second, and then yeah. it, and then it's gone. I loved it. I thought it was really good. I, I, just little things like that really, really get me going with films like this. I think they're really great. A little attention to detail. So yeah, it starts out with that eight years later, and then we're on a plane, and some shit goes down. It does. It does, and it's it's a really cool intro. Like the, I like that it's not uh, a prolonged reveal in the same way that uh, the Joker's reveal was. Yeah. It it pretty much gets you going. It lets you know who Bane is, why they're interested in Bane, and then Bane's there. It is. Yeah. It it's kind of no nonsense, and also it does a thing that's really clever in that it doesn't. Obviously, we said this thing about world building and character building. The Dark Knight did a really good job of doing that betrayal scene with the Joker clowns that sets up mm. the Joker's character so that then when we see the Joker again, we're already in there. We know exactly who he is. We know what he's about. We know his motives are. With Bane, it's a character that I didn't know a lot about other than the one we watched in Batman and Robin. <laughs> the less said about that, the better. I was going to say, they're almost not even the same character, are they? No, they're not. Uh, he and then there's that thing of, yeah. They doesn't the guy say something to the CIA agent like, um, the guys were trying to bag your your prize. They work for the mercenary, the masked one. You're like, oh, and you go, okay, he's called Bane. So they kind of drop him in there, and then he's there. Like you say, they just take the mask off him, the, the bag off his head, and yeah. he's there straight away. And it's sort of no nonsense. And he shows how physically strong he is because he breaks out of his handcuffs, doesn't he? And then he mm. takes over the plane. There's another plane on top of the plane that rips the other plane. It's mad. It's like, it is again that thing of, I said to you about it being larger than, than life. It's kind of mad. And then they, they're stealing a physicist out of the plane called Dr. Pavel. And they have to pretend he's dead. And we don't know why they're stealing Dr. Pavel until no. like halfway through the film. But it's brilliant, isn't it? It's, it's so epic. It's such an epic... And like you say, it's kind of further away from Batman movies as you can get. It's not a Batman movie. And then you forget, no. oh, it is a Batman movie. We're watching a Batman movie. Yeah. Every, it's, I, that's the one thing I've appreciated a lot about these Nolan films is that they are obviously named Batman films. They, you know, they include Batman. Batman's in there. But even if it wasn't a Batman film, you'd still enjoy it. Yeah. <clears throat> it, there's, there's not a lot of... Um, it, the more recent superhero movies have really l gone in hard with uh, a lot of fan service. Yeah, you know they they've dug into comic books and found uh, stories, and they don't necessarily use the story arcs, but they might just leave a, an item that was used yeah. in that story in, in one of the scenes, and you'll see it. And that's that's Easter eggy, and that's that's as far as Easter eggy goes with the new, newer superhero films. What Nolan does really well, and Goya gets a lot of credit for this as well, is he writes stories that are inspired by the stories in uh, the comics. Yeah. So there, there are definitely plot points that are borrowed from comics, but it's not just like, oh, do you remember that thing that happened in a comic? It was really good, wasn't it? Oh, you, you didn't read the six-issue run from the 1980s. Oh, you won't understand this bit then. <laughs> it, it's not that you can just go in and enjoy the film, yeah, without having read the comic. Like 
when we started this, you you said that you weren't all in on Batman lore, but I don't think for the Nolan stuff you need to be. No, I quite like that. It's accessible. Um, <clears throat> is the Bane character, because the Bane character is very clever. He's very strong. Yes. Um, he has a weird voice, but again, we can't, we'll talk about it as we go through. But he is, Tom Hardy's performance in that film is amazing. And the reason I say that yeah. is because... Tom Hardy conveys so much of a character and makes that character, really defines the character really well without really, you can't see his face. So yeah. to emote the way, the way Bane emotes and the voice and the physicality and the mannerism, they really do make that character. He's imposing and he's terrifying and he's strong and he's scary, but it's brilliant, isn't it? It's almost like that bit where Darth Vader walks onto the ship at the beginning of Star Wars and you're like, yeah. I know this guy means business just by the way he stood and how big he is. Oh, yeah. This I mean, he even thing. has a, a, a Vader moment, doesn't he? Partway yeah. through the film, he, he, he snaps a guy's neck. Yeah, he does. Um, he grabs him by the throat, yeah. And, you know, he it's all all through his eyes, basically. He's acting through his eyes because yeah. you can't see anything else moving. Um, it, it's, it is a brilliant performance. And in terms of how comic accurate he is... It, to an extent, yes. Okay, um, that's what I was going to ask but, you. Yeah, he's... Uh, Bane in the comics, uh, I mean, there's, there's obviously a few different variations on, on his origins and stuff like that, but effectively, he's um, not a muscular guy normally. Yeah. He, 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 <clears throat> he has this uh, sort of serum. It's almost like a super soldier type serum called yeah. Venom that he injects and has like a constant flow from a, a tank that he wears. And that's what makes him this muscular guy. And he's sort of a um a, a wrestler. Okay. So he and I think I'm right in saying Hispanic. Right, okay. So he does have an accent, but it's not the accent that Tom Hardy's doing. Yeah. <laughs> um but he is incredibly intelligent. Yeah, and I, I think that, that it, he, as far as I'm aware, he's not a member of the League of Shadows. No, that seems to be bolted in for for what happens at the end, doesn't it? Yeah. Um. Um. He, but yeah, he he's he's a, a brilliant bad guy in this, and I I like the way that um he the the way it loops back round to the first film is Ra's al Ghul's war was with Gotham. Yeah. And Bruce got in the way. Um, Joker's war was with Batman. Yeah. And Gotham got in the way. And in this film, it sort of goes back to a, a the, the first film where it's Bane at war with Bruce. Yeah. So Bane, the reason Bane is more formidable is... He knows who Batman is. Yeah, and he has to be. There has to be something to take Batman out of the equation for the for the plot to happen, isn't there? Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I I love I love that sort of it, it for Ra's al Ghul. It was Gotham, Joker. It was Batman, and now for Bane, it's Bruce. That's amazing, uh, and uh, it's really well written. It's and and formed as a a, a trilogy. Because they they all have their own enemies, uh, but the reason Bane succeeds where the others fail is he 
doesn't attack Gotham. He doesn't attack Batman because they're both basically ideas. Mm -hmm. He attacks the man. He attacks Bruce, who isn't an idea. He's a real human who's got no cartilage in his knees, as we find out. (laughs) (laughs) So he's he's not in his best shape. And I think even uh, Bane, during their fight, comments on that. You know, he says that Bruce isn't in his best shape. He fights like a younger man, but he's not a younger man. Yeah. Um, so yeah, there's there's some really really cool moments. I like that uh, that give you the idea that Bane is really smart. Yeah, yeah. Not yeah. not smart. He's at least well. He's at least resourceful. Yeah, and uh, well educated. He, he, yeah. Uh, so yeah. So it's cool. I like it. And I do. you've got all the Vader Vader sort of references as well. He's just a big imposing <laughs> brute of a man. Uh, it's great. Lovely. Yeah, I mean, it is. It's, it's just such an interesting. Um, and they say we're going to go to the plot as well. Like when you come in from this film, the prologue, you then zoom forward to presumably a couple of weeks later in Gotham, where we're celebrating Harvey Dent Day. The mayor's there, Gordon's there, um, Foley's there. Now Foley's played by Matthew Modine, and he has a long history with with um, Commissioner Gordon, but it's a history that none of us have ever seen because he seems to have just popped up in this film, and he's like, he says something like, he goes with his guts like he always does. I'm like, we've never met you, you've never yeah. worked with with Jim, so I don't know who you are. Um, quickly becomes yeah. a really good character. I really like the Foley character. And, and, and I think Agent Foley is from the comics as well, I, I believe. Yes. Yeah. And I, he's a great character. Like you say, doesn't, doesn't really feel earned because, like you say, we've yeah. not met him. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So there, there, were, there probably would have been other characters they could have made, say, that line that would have made more sense. Yeah. Like the mayor, for example. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, doesn't, doesn't feel earned, but like I say, it becomes a cool character. It does. This this is now the idea that um, Gotham is in peace because um, after the Joker, after Dent, they made Batman an outlaw. Uh, Batman took the rap for the murders, and Gotham was able to enact the Dent Act. So if, basically, if you were a a gangbanger or a a, a gang affiliated criminal person, you would be arrested and charged double or triple your sentence. They were I don't think I think they explained that they weren't granted parole or anything, were they? So they were just sort of locked up in Blackgate prison. So that's yeah. the big catalyst of why Gotham's better off now because of Dark Knight. And it feels like Bruce's won, it feels like Gordon's won. But there's this thing, isn't there? There's this this tension in the film which is that the lies that Bruce and 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 um the Bruce has committed lies. Um, Alfred has lied um, to an extent, I guess. You know, well, Gordon's lied, and all the characters feel like they are. Um, it's eating away at them a little bit in this yeah. film. It did this wonderful thing as well, which Nolan always does, where within the first twenty minutes, we've set up all the key characters for this film. It's like a chessboard, James. Do you know when people say? Where does a king go? Where does a queen go? Right, rooks, they go there. That one goes there. Bishop, no, swap that round. That's what this feels like at the beginning. He puts in all the groundwork early on to make sure you know who Selina Kyle is, to make sure you know yeah. where Alfred's at. Gordon's going to read the speech out, but then bottles it because he's feeling guilty about lying about Dent, and he keeps having flashbacks to Dent holding his son um, captive at the end of Dark Knight. So it's all there, isn't it? Like, it's all straight away there. And then we can just get yeah. on with the plot. And I love that about this film is that it doesn't waste any time 
really it doesn't waste any time on what happened in dark night it just goes well we've done that that's done if you haven't seen it too bad anyway yeah. selena kyle um gets into a car she well she robs bruce doesn't she and it's yes. that moment where Anne hathaway's a maid she goes into the room she sees crippled bruce and then um she kind of there's a moment where the hans zimmer score kicks in and at the same time as the Hans Zimmer score kicks in, Anne Hathaway's face drops and she shoulders drop and she drops from being the scuttled, oh, I'm so sorry, Mr. Wayne, to being the, the Catwoman that we know. And yeah. I think that turn in the film is just such a beautifully acted moment by Anne Hathaway. It's so good. Yeah. It, the line, something along the lines of, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't realise it was unhackable. <laughs> yeah, or, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, it's great. Yeah, it's... It's it's so well delivered. Like say that change in in personality physically happens in front of you. It's yeah, really really impressive acting. It's great, isn't it? Then she kind of she abducts a congressman um, by getting in his limo, um, the congressman who was at the, at the beginning, and then that turns into another plot point. The the thing that this does again though, which me and you've talked about before, is it needed almost to simplify its plot. I think in in a way it does it better than dark knight because it knows where it's heading straight away yeah yeah and obviously there's a bit in the middle of the film where and we, we talk about because we're going to talk about it anyway but there's a bit in the middle of the film where gotham is basically taken over by bane's army they ascend from the sewers up to the surface world and take control of the city and all everything goes to part so you know that that's going to happen so when you know that you know that everything in the first third of the movie is driving that plot towards the takeover. So the things mm. like Dagger and his assistant and the and the and he's got all the companies working for Dagger, working for Bane. Um, Bane is building something under the sewers, but we don't really know what he's doing. But he's got an army of young men in the sewers working for him. You've got all the mercenaries in the sewers. Uh, there's a kid that washes up in the sewer. That um, then you have the copper played by Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Uh, can we just call him yeah. Robin? I think Robin's fine, isn't it? Um, yeah, so... yeah. I, I mean, even on IMDb, they refer to him as Blake to try and not <laughs> not uh, not spoil that spoiler. But yeah, yeah. let's call him Robin because uh, it, it, that that's who he you know that's his real name. It, yeah, uh, as they reveal at the end of the film, and it that felt a little cheesy. That's more of a here's an Easter egg, here's yeah. something from the comics kind of thing, but. It was cool that they had a Robin character in this trilogy. That's cool. Yeah, I'm fine I mean, with that. Nolan said he would never do Batman and Robin. So that was the joke going in. And then when you realise that if you look at Blake's character, he does all the things that Robin would do. He, he kind of, you know, he's being groomed throughout the film to be a hero, isn't he? That's the point. He's yeah. a cop. It... He's got good morals. He's an orphan like Bruce. Um, he's, you know, it's just really well taught. I told they, us he becomes a central hero when Bruce is in the pit. Yeah, they do. Um, they do. It, it's it's cleverly done because it's sort of a reversal of the Robin, one of the Robin's stories. So there've been several different Robins, but the um, mm-hmm. Robin they sort of referencing is uh, Dick Grayson, who yeah. was the first Robin, and he left Batman because he was dissatisfied with the way Batman carried out his crime fighting, and became Nightwing. And as Nightwing, he operated as a vigilante by day, but a copper. Uh, so a vigilante by night, but a copper by day. Yeah. So he was, he was a police officer. It's great. So sort of uh, doing the reverse storyline. So instead of, 
ending up as a police officer, he starts as one. I like that. Good. Yeah, I do. I really like it. And it's like, there's obviously all the bits where there's some really good moments in this film as well. Like the, the bit with Alfred and Bruce. Um, we get to see the Bat Cave again. Oh, the Bat, um, the Bat House. What do you call it? Wayne Manor. <laughs> yeah, the the Bat um, House. It was shot in is, Nottingham. Is that like a frat house? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Uh, it was all shot in Nottingham at Woolton Park. Uh, anyone from Nottingham would have seen that beautiful building and been like, "Oh, I know that." But yeah, um, I grew up in Nottingham, and that big building that's Woolton Hall that, that poses as Wayne Manor in the film is literally like 10 minutes from where I grew up, which is really odd when I went to the cinema to watch it. Um, obviously, <laughs> I knew it had happened because there was a big hype about Warner Brothers taking over the park and loads of people that I knew from Nottingham were trying to scale the wall to get photos of all the people filming. Um and yeah, That's ridiculous. Cool. But they had to keep it secret because of a really big thing that happens at the end of the film. <laughs> mm. <laughs> Something obviously <laughs> happens right at the end and you're like, oh shit, if they'd have let that out, then that's the cat out of the bag, isn't it? Yeah. Um, so yeah, really good. Um, yeah, so we get the bits with Bruce. Bruce is broken because doesn't he fall off something in the Dark Knight uh, after killing Dent? After thwarting yeah. Dent, he falls from that building, doesn't he? So that's the, the idea that his leg is totally shattered and um, he can't really do the things he used to do because of, uh, because of his physical injuries. And then there's the emotional side um, because he lost Rachel and he lost hope and he was an outcast. And I don't think, I think in this film, Bruce, it's that Bruce didn't win, did he really? He, he still lost. Yeah. He had to he pay did. the price by, by lying and covering up. And Batman served his purpose, but it wasn't the purpose that Bruce had wanted him to serve. No, it, it was. It, it's in some ways a reference to some of the, the, the comic book ideas, because in the comics, um, the uh, storylines that get borrowed from a lot are uh, by a guy called Frank Miller, mm. and he did uh, the Dark Knight Returns series, uh, which is based on Bruce as an older man co- being called back into action as Batman because Gotham's gone to hell. Um, and one of the plot points is Bruce's guilt over what happened to the Robins. Mm. Uh, you know, various Robins uh, went through a lot of trauma, one of them being killed by the Joker. And this film, because it doesn't do a Batman and Robin story, sort of supplants Bruce's guilt over Robin with his guilt over Rachel. Yeah, And I think that's, cleverly done it sort of avoids that issue of not having a robin mm. it gives him something else to worry about something else to feel that guilt over um that sort of immobilizes him as batman yeah and we talked a lot about themes in the other two episodes and obviously a big theme of the first one was based around fear uh, with the fear gas and mm. fear being the weapon that Ra's al Ghul is going to use to destroy gotham and then in the second one it's chaos Joker creates chaos, yeah. says I'm an agent of chaos, and chaos ensues. And the only way Batman can defeat the chaos is by creating a lie to cover up the effect that the Joker had on Dent and on the city to preserve hope. Yeah. This film's theme is very much pain, both physical and emotional pain caused by the previous yeah. film. Um, but also that idea that you know the villain's driving force is he inflicts pain on people. He has a mask that suppresses his own pain, which he sustained when he was in the pit um, as a as a young man, and 
and then Bruce having to go into the pit and learn how to become not just Batman, but how to climb out of his own emotional um, pain and, and defeat physical pain to beat Bane is, is clever, isn't it? Like the whole thing works yeah. really well as, as thematically. Um, so yeah, we progressed through it. They, I can't even remember where we were. I've literally got so many notes and this is great because me and James always do this, don't we? We just always just end up ranting for an hour and then realize we've lost track of time again. Um, yeah. I was talking a lot about what I wanted to talk to you about was about the US class system that echoes all over the film, you know, weaved throughout this entire movie is this idea that the rich people are staying rich and throwing parties, but the poor people, mm. like the orphaned kids are showing up dead in sewers. Um, they, there's even like a man says, oh, homeless people keep being found down here sheltering in the tunnels. And there's these references to, um, you know, the, the, the gap between rich and poor in Gotham. And this, this yeah. harks back to the thing that the film um, was very much inspired by, apparently written and inspired directly by Charles Dickens' A Tale of Two Cities, which mm. ironically is read, a passage from Tale of Two Cities is read out by Gordon at the very end of the film. And Gordon yes, is holding is. the book at the end. So not only did he, like, thematically did they follow the structure of Tale of Two Cities, but they also paid homage to it through the through the script but yeah. this idea that you've got the sit the, the tale of sioux cities for anyone who doesn't know obviously go and read it is um about the french revolution told from the sides of london and paris um both before and during the french revolution when it kicks off um and that's a lot about class isn't it the class divide and how yeah your social uh circle or your social situation and position within society um, changes your opinion on things and the way you look at the world. So in this film, there's that idea that there is crime still, there is despair, there is poverty and problems, but a lot of them are in the sewer. So they're just kind of buried, aren't they? The same way that the whole lie of Gotham is they're just burying everything. All the criminals are buried under false pretenses and everything's just been bottled up. And this idea that Bane and his army are the what the reckoning he calls himself Gotham's reckoning like they are going to come to take the city back and and reveal the lie that's that's tormenting everybody and it's clever and that was, it's so clever isn't it, it it's brilliant because that was when you think about it that was the original goal of Ra's al Ghul in yeah. the first film was to basically cleanse Gotham yeah by this. creating poverty uh, and and Bruce said no no we can fix this and in trying to fix it in the second film, mm. all they did was make it worse. Yeah, they did. He just made it more more awful in the long term and made that divide yeah. bigger. And the idea, like, when um, Bruce... There's, there's a scene where Bane takes over the stock exchange. Um, and again, it's all a thing about Daggett, isn't it? They're trying to... Um, they're trying to make Bruce broke, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which will force Bruce out and, and allow... Um, well, Daggett to take over Wayne Industries, uh, Wayne Enterprises, which is actually a front for Talia to take over Wayne Industries, Wayne Enterprises. And then there's the bit where they go to the stock exchange and like the man who's shining the shoes of the rich and wealthy stockbrokers. And also there's a man shouting at a delivery man who's delivered the wrong sandwich. And then there's another man who's wiping the floor. And as he's wiping the floor with his mop, they just walk all over his floor. And those three men are really cleverly placed because they're the first men that get guns out and start shooting people inside the embassy. It's sorry, inside the um, 
stock exchange. Do you remember that bit? Yeah. Yeah. And I thought, oh, that's just another class structure thing. They just put the class structure thing in there and said, look, these are working class men that Baines basically put them in these positions to show people how shit they're getting treated by the upper classes of Gotham. Ah, oh, so clever. So, it's so brilliant. well made. And, and, and it, it sort of hit home when Baines wa- walks in and he, he, he's walking towards one of the uh, people at the stock exchange. And the guy cowers behind a computer and says, there's no money here. And Baines just says, what are you all working here for then? (laughs) (laughs) It's just like, like, why are you here? It just sort of pokes fun at all these weird things that society's created to create wealth that don't actually do anything. No, no, they don't. They don't have any, any, any real benefit. And he... And Bane sort of points out these idiosyncrasies that have happened because of society yeah. uh, by poking fun at them. But he also recognises stuff. Um, like there's, there's a scene later in the film where he compliments a girl's singing. Yeah. So he, he, he recognises stuff that's actually innocent and beautiful in and amongst all this craziness that he's wanting to destroy. So yeah. It, 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 he's, a, he's not just one of those moustache-twirling villains that says he's going to steal the money because it's you know, money, or that he wants to destroy the world because he's wanting to destroy the world. He's got real thought behind what he's doing. Yeah, definitely. That's why, that's why he works so well as a villain. He's not just this comic book villain. He's a, a lot more than that. Mm. I think this one is thematically stronger than the other two because I think mm. it's because it is about the fall of society, isn't it? It is about what happens when the people, you know, because there's always going to be more poor people or, you know, there's going to be more people underneath than there is rich people in the world. So if those poor people all of a sudden just decide to take up arms, this is revolution. This is what happens, isn't it? In real world, yeah. in real situations, it's happening in countries right now, you know, and you think, yeah, that is a scary thing of realizing how how on the edge of a knife um, civilized society is until someone pushes it over the edge. But they do all this stuff with the stock exchange. This forces Batman to come out of retirement and don the cowl and cape again. And it's a really joyous moment. I think it's about 40 minutes into the movie where... Yeah. Brain, where Batman is... There's a guy, they've, they've kidnapped some people from the, uh, from the uh, stock exchange. And then Bruce or Batman just plows along on their bat pod and just takes a criminal off a motorcycle at full speed. It's wicked. And then there's yeah. like all the lights going out because Batman's obviously like disturbing the lights as he's going through the tunnel. Um, it's just so thrilling. And then there's the police chase with all the cop cars. And it's not just like five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten cop cars. It becomes like 50, 60 cop cars and it just becomes bigger and bigger and bigger. And the whole scene just keeps building and building and building until Batman flies out of there in the uh, Batwing thing, doesn't he? Um, yeah. You know oh, how it's like a, a gaggle of geese or a murder of crows? Yeah. I, yeah. Think, that, I think that's an American number of, top, of cop cars. Because yeah. it's only in these Hollywood films that you see like the entire police force are chasing one car. I've never ever just... seen it like that in any film, though. It's the most cop cars I've ever seen in one film that aren't CGI. Yeah, it's it, it's a it's a great scene, and you, I think the um, 
there's a, a quick sort of conversation between two police officers in a cop car where the old one <laughs> yeah. says to the young one, you're in for a real show today. Yeah. That's directly from The Dark Knight Returns. Oh, is it? Yeah. Oh, that's excellent. Ed's, no, sorry, The Dark... Yeah, yeah. so yeah. it's... Um, it happens in that film where Batman's come out of retirement for the very first time in decades and the older cop recognises him and the younger cop, much like in this film, actually shoots him as he's about <laughs> to go into this building to take take down this gang. Oh. The, the younger cop shoots at him. So it's pretty much... Uh, Sort of pain for pain, a a comic book reference that. So that's wicked. That's, I did not know that. Yeah, it, it's it, the we we might have to if we get time at some point if we go into the animated stuff. Yeah, definitely. The, the, there's an animated version of the Dark Knight Returns that's very much worth people watching because you start to see where a lot of these more modern recent films nick their ideas from. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, fr- Frank Miller's got a lot to answer for. It's crazy. Um... So yeah, I mean, there's so many things in this that build that that plot around. Um, they, they the stock exchange thing is to steal um, money by using Wayne's fingerprints, which have been given to Bane by Selena Kyle, who stole them at the beginning of the film. So it's all these little plot mm-hmm. things that that are all adding up. Um, Selena Kyle is after a pen drive or something that's going to give her some ability to be uh, anonymous again, give her an anonymity back. And it can delete her yeah. criminal record so she can disappear. So that's kind of her plot. We never actually see this thing, whatever it is, but we're just told about it several times through different mediums. Uh, there's a the great scene um, when before they get on the sewers where she's in the dirty bar with one of Daggett's cronies. And um, then it all kicks off because um, yeah, she, she, uses, she uses the cell phone of the um, congressman. Yeah, that the whole thing's amazing. Then the, that's when you see Gordon in the sewer, isn't it? With Bane. Yeah. It happens before the stock exchange bit. And uh, that's where the plot sort of starts, where we know Bane is in Gotham. He's doing something. Gordon knows about him. Gordon's out of action for a while. There's a really tender scene where Bruce goes to the hospital to get his leg looked at. And it's really funny with the doctor because you realize like how much of a toll being Batman's taken on Bruce's body. And yeah. then we get that really tender scene, which harks back to the first scene in Batman Begins between um, Bruce and Gordon. When Gordon's on the desk, isn't he? And and, and Bruce puts the um, stapler up to the back of his head. Do you remember? Yes. Yeah. In this I film, it's Bruce with a little, you know, um, mask on. Like, what do you call him? Like a little ski mask thing on. Um, Banaclava. Yeah. And Gordon's in the hospital bed on oxygen and he looks really defeated. Bless him. And and he says, you know, Batman has to come back. This evil's rising from where we try to bury it. I think that was the scene they used in the trailer for the film. That scene with Gordon in the bed. And you're like, something's happening. We don't know what it is. But Gordon's on his death, death's door. And Bruce says, what if Batman doesn't exist anymore? And he goes, oh, he must do. Oh, it's great. Yeah. And then we get the tenderest moment in the film, which I think deserves all the praise of this entire film. Was Michael Caine's scene with um, with Christian Bale the scene where yeah. Alfred tells Bruce about the letter that he burned in Dark Knight in Dark Knight, and then says, "You know, I can't stay and watch you kill yourself. I'm off." <laughs> yeah, 
it's it's so good and the uh, it, when he admits that he'd hoped Bruce never would come home yeah uh, and that he'd just see him one day in Florence yeah and i yeah it's it's such a touching scene yeah. and brilliantly delivered it's one of those things that michael caine is great at i mean oh, he's oh god yeah totally he especially older michael caine i think he's as he's aged, he's got better at delivering those emotional scenes. Yeah. Whereas I think young Michael Caine was known for you're only supposed to blow the bloody doors off yeah. and, and stuff like that. Um, yeah. And it, he was almost like a, a comedic actor who, who had some uh, ability to do serious acting. And then as he aged, he just became this elder statesman of acting mm. for British films. And he's really grown into that role massively. Yeah. Um, I, and it's it's how he gets cast a lot as that you know mentor character. fatherly yeah, yeah mentor f- figure it's brilliant um they uh, they they use it really well there's a, a a really small film with him and Dylan Moran called Act the Actors and he plays an old actor who's training young Dylan Moran actor to be better and <laughs> uh and they they both want to get a you know they both want each other to land a big role but he's that mentor for for dylan moran in that as well and it's exactly the same sort of very sweet emotional moments yeah mixed in with you can tell that there's like an underbelly of anger there like he's angry that this has happened this yeah. isn't the this isn't the bruce he wanted to help raise he wanted you know thomas and martha to still be around he wanted you know this wasn't his life that he wanted he wasn't meant to be like a support act for yeah. For yeah. Batman, he wanted to be there for the Wayne family and just yeah. be a butler. And this is the um, thing where this is more painful, isn't it? Because his warning, he warns Bruce several times about you need to find a different way of solving problems than just putting your bloody cowl and mask back, uh, your mask and your cape back on and going out onto the streets. And Bruce just doesn't listen to him. And yeah. that foreshadowing of what happens to Bruce in the next scene as Batman is all the more poignant when it when it's followed by this scene with with Alfred and Alfred leaves like he goes and you don't see him again till the end of the yeah. film so you're like oh god that is really good like, and that's the first bit of the film where Bruce starts to lose everything do you know what I mean like yeah we talk about pain we talk about consequences we talk about the hero's journey and everything that happens to Bruce in this film and this film is so good um with the Bruce Wayne character and Christian playing oh, him yeah. as, 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 you know, better than he has done in the other two films. I feel like the first film was obviously an introduction to the world. The second film is the Joker's film. This film really is Bruce's film. It's, oh, um, definitely, it's Christian's yeah. film all the way through. And then obviously he leaves, you know, he loses um, Alfred first. Then he loses all his money. <laughs> yeah. Um, then he loses his position at Wayne Enterprises and loses the company to Daggett. Um, Baines sort of reveals that that's all part of the plan. So you know there's something going on under the surface with Bane and there's something sneaky going on. We don't know what it is until the end. And then we get Selena Kyle and Bruce um, meeting and, and Bruce just says to her, look, I don't know what, there's something going on in this city. I need to find Bane and get rid of him. And Bruce is so blinded by his own arrogance that he thinks I'll just walk in and stop him and that'll be the end of that. And she betrays him, doesn't she, James? It's really good. And there's yeah. that bit where they go down the sewer. I think that's like the most Batman-y Batman bit in the whole movie where they're in the sewers and there's like 
harks back to the bit where he's fighting criminals in the first one where he like drops down from the ceiling onto them when he takes them out there's a bit where like one of them's firing a gun and you can only see batman for the flashes of the bullets and then he's gone then he gets him <laughs> and it's like yeah. oh, wicked it's um, really cool and i i like the fact though that that all proves to be really ineffective yeah like all the batmany stuff it just isn't very effective against bane no it it all fails that's what's really good about this film is because at the end he just fights him in the street in broad daylight, doesn't he? Because yeah. there's no point in all the facade. He knows who he is, and he knows all his moves. He's trained by the same person, and he doesn't give a shit about the dark. <laughs> yeah. So none of the Batman tropes work in the film. And I love that bit. Like when he, and he sees Bane in the sewer, and that's the meeting. There's no music, there's no background. It's just the noise mm. of the punches. And Bane taunting him throughout that whole sequence on the bridge. Um, that's that set they've built with the sewer, with the cascading waterfall and the bridge across the middle and all that. It's fucking wicked. It looks so scary. It's so ominous. It's like a massive tube, isn't it? Under the ground. Yeah. And then he it, reveals, doesn't he reveal that that's underneath Wayne Enterprises, doesn't he? Yeah, I mean, the way he reveals it is by detonating a bomb and a tumbler <laughs> just falls down next to them, which is so funny. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's sort of a, a moment of light-hearted humour. Um, so, yeah, you're on about the bridge. Um, it's very similar to the one, isn't it, from Batman and Robin? It's weirdly similar. It's just done so much more effectively in this one. Um, but And you've got, you know, uh, Pickle Boy Bane. Uh, it just looks like a giant pickle. <laughs> it's like a giant green pickle in a Mexican wrestling mask. <laughs> oh God! This is the thing. At least they're they are funny. There's nothing funny about this scene. And obviously, there's a bit where like he punches Bane, and Bane just catches the fist. And there's the bit where um, God, it's just such an exciting sequence. And then there's the bit where, like you say, Bruce tries to use the- theatricality and deception and. And Bane just repeats all the shit back to him that Ra's al Ghul told them both. And then he defeats him, James. He defeats him by pummeling his bat mask, by cracking the cowl off his head. And then he just lifts him up and breaks his back, which I am told is exactly what happens in the comic book. It's, it's one of the most iconic Batman uh, images. Mm. Like if you Google search Batman, uh, Bane breaks the bat or something like I'm that. I'm doing it now. It's the it's the first thing that comes up. Yeah, let's have a look. And it's it's such a, a cool panel from a comic. It looks Oh god, incredible. it is. It's awful. He does it on the knee as well, just like he does in the film. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. And it's it's fantastic. That that that's that comic book image is sort of burnt into loads of Batman fans memories just because of how visceral it looks it looks horrific doesn't it it looks terrible yeah but it is in the film Uh, it's done really well in the film yeah oh yeah they recreate it in such a good way i mean they couldn't have done it in a better way i mean they couldn't uh, i i guess you could you know have punched him in the back or something like that but the fact that it's that knee slam to the back yeah that completely breaks him because it doesn't just break his back, it breaks his spirit. He can't operate as Batman at that stage. Yeah, it's um, game over. But then game he... over. And yeah, sorry, go on. Um, 
And then he takes him to the pit, doesn't he? Yeah, and this is... Um, we talked about this before because you were explaining to me about the Lazarus pits and the idea that Ra's al Ghul is immortal through the medium of the Lazarus pit. Um, in this film, a Lazarus pit is literally a pit in the ground somewhere in the Far East where they just dump people to die um, yeah. in a prison. And it's really... It's horrible, isn't it? But that idea that he doesn't kill Bruce, he just says openly to Bruce, I'm going to put you in here to watch your city burn to the ground because I want your spirit to break and you to pay for all the stupidity and, and you know, the lies and everything. And I guess it's like that get your own back for killing Ra's al Ghul. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's it because it, he says to Bruce, you welcome death. Yeah, he does, doesn't you he? Because he's, he's lost everything. He has nothing else to live for. Therefore, killing him would be too easy. Mm. Yeah, he's it, death isn't the thing that Bruce fears. Yeah, it's failure, and he fears failure more than death. Yeah, which I think is uh, it, it, that's that's how how Bane breaks him. Basically, he shows him he's failed. Yeah, it's so powerful. And then now Bruce is out of the way. Um, Bane initiates sort of step two, doesn't he? He takes over the board of Gotham. He gets the reactor, which we haven't talked about. The reactor is probably the most silly thing in the whole film. It's like the most comic book thing in the movie. But it is, I guess, it's that classic thing of... It's like 24, where you've got so long to stop the bomb. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it feels very much that that's what they were going for. It has got a timer on it, but why does it need to have a timer on it? It's a, it's not a bomb. It's a fucking nuclear reactor. So who put the timer countdown on it? Uh. It's important. It's important that reactor can count down, Jake. I, I don't know what you're saying. No, it, it, it is very silly. It's yeah. a silly comic book thing. Yeah. And um, I like as well that it's almost sent up like that. It's yeah. not even an important part of the overall mm. message of the film, or you know, it's the film isn't about stopping a nuclear reactor going off. It's the fact that Bane is using people's hopes and fears against them. Yeah, you know, he'll he'll tell you know in one moment he'll tell the public that everything you know this whole revolution is for them. And it's, you know, they've been lied to by all these people, but equally he's lying to them because he's got a nuclear reactor he's about to kill them all with. Yeah, it's great. Uh, uh, but, you know, it's, it, yeah, it, the, the nuclear reactor is just there and they just use it as that. You know, it's not even overly important to the true main villain later on. It's not important to their goal, is it? It's no. just, it's just some, it's just a means to an end. Yeah, it's funny. They so they get the reactor out. That's how they reveal the Doctor Pavel thing that he's been kept alive, um, and yeah, they use him to turn the reactor into a bomb. Then they turn Gotham into a sort of failed state um, by destroying all the bridges into Gotham. I mean, it isn't Gotham from above. It looks very much like New York City, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> but it's Gotham City. They yeah. blow up a football stadium full of football players, which is for absolutely no reason, by the way, James. He could have just gone on the field and told everybody about the bomb, but Bane felt yeah. it was necessary to destroy the pitch and kill all the players first. Apart from one well, player yeah. who survives. Um, Maybe they just did really poorly in his fantasy football league. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> he seems to be all about the revenge, and that's the only thing I could think of. 
Yeah. He, he just didn't like the way they performed. There is one bit He lost here. a lot of money. There's one bit here which has always tripped me about this film, which is every single police officer in Gotham, apart from Robin and Commissioner Gordon, are in the sewer because they get told to go in the sewer to find Bane. But Bane isn't in the sewer, James. Bane's already come up to Bane Enterprises. So they blow some stuff up and trap the coppers but no police officers are able to weevil their way out of what? Like how? How could you? I, do you know what I mean? This it, makes it's, no it's sense. the way the Gotham sewers were designed, Jake. <laughs> they were designed to be able to trap an entire police department. Like, um, surely, if you just blow, there's always a manhole cover, an emergency exit, or you just follow the sewers until you come to underneath Gotham and you go out into the river. I don't know because he showed he showed I, you didn't he like where. Do you remember where the river, um, the, the tunnels meet the river and Blake yeah. finds Gordon there, doesn't he? And drags him out of the pool of water. Yeah. They just end up there, wouldn't they? Why don't they just go there and escape? <laughs> you, you would hope. But no, what they do is they wait for someone who's been hospitalized yeah. and a rookie cop, basically, to come and save them. Bloody hell. That is the only bit um, that I think is utterly ridiculous about this film, is that all they, the police officers in the city... Just stay in the in the sewer for like nine months. I mean, I think it's fair to say that in all three of these films, Goth- Gotham hasn't had the finest police department. No, but this lot are just sitting on their <laughs> ass, aren't they? They actually show well, yeah. them sat on their ass eating bread because because um, Bane says in his speech, doesn't he? The police will survive when they learn to serve true justice, and you just see them all sat in the sewer eating. I'm like, what are they doing? <laughs> Start walking. Uh, you know. Uh, yeah, I, I think it's uh, it, it's almost giving the, the public hope that the police will come and save them, but they can't because yeah. they're useless. Yeah. And until, you know, man with broken back who, who wears a costume and man who has been shot in a sewer and has been recuperating in hospital comes to save them. Yeah. <laughs> um, I just, yeah, it is a ridiculous plot point. Yeah. And um, there, there could have been a, a much better way of dealing with it. I mean, I mean, this sounds cruel. And I know that obviously we need them later for the for the plot, but you could have just executed all the police officers. Like, you know, in military coups, they don't just stick the other military in the sewer. They They literally kill them all. Like when you supplant a government in a country, they don't often just exile the government. They usually kill them, no. James. Yeah, um, and yeah. I just, I think the the plot point is so weak because everything else in the film film feels tightly written. Yeah, legit, like it could happen. Yeah, mm. uh, and, and, and this just doesn't land as well yeah. uh, as, it, as it could. So yeah, you, you've got the police down there. Obviously... Bruce is still working his way up the Lazarus pit yeah, yeah, at this point. It takes him a while. Um, takes him, doesn't it, it take him like nearly three months to get out? Yeah, it takes him a long time. Um, or five months. And, five months, I think. And there's, there's a, a, a criticism that's often leveled at the film as, in terms of how does he get from the pit to Gotham so quickly yeah. after he gets out. Yeah. I, I don't all completely agree because I think if you watch the timeline, it... Is something like twenty eight days. Yeah, 
in between him getting out of the pit and him arriving back in Gotham in yeah, film time. Because, it's like 28 um, days. Yeah, because when he gets... Yeah, because they kill the special forces officers. Um, Bane executes them, doesn't he? And then puts them on the bridge, hanging by their necks. Yeah. And, and then doesn't... Yeah, no, um, Fox, the wonderful Morgan Freeman, says to special forces people, that bomb will go off in 28 days regardless of what anyone chooses to do outside of the city. Um, And then Bruce sees that on telly, and then that's how he escapes. So he escapes, yeah, you say, roughly 28 days before the bomb goes off. So he does have a while to get back. And also, they're not going to be watching for one man sneaking into the city, are they? Like, they're going to be ways into the city. The the problem with the city is that if anyone leaves and they're caught leaving, Bane says he's going to blow the city up. Yeah. It's the fear and that keeps yeah, them there, isn't it, really? It is, it is. And like you say, they're not going to notice one man. They're certainly not going to notice a man trained by the League of Shadows to be invisible. Yeah. You know, yeah. It, 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 is, it is his thing. Mm. Like, he can end conversations and disappear completely. Yeah. And no one questioned that yeah. in, the, uh, in the previous film. So, yeah. So that, that's a criticism, I think, that's unfair. I think the police officers in the sewer... Definitely a fair criticism. There's probably a better way they could have dealt with that. But yeah, Bruce getting from the pit back to Gotham. That makes sense. I, um, I'm happy with that. I love all the scenes in the pit. And I know a lot of people thought it was very out of touch for a Batman movie. But I think that's the credit of this film, how good this film is. That whilst Bane's wreaking havoc back in uh, Gotham, you've got the bit with um bruce trying to come back from the brink of death you know coming it literally dies when he goes into the pit his hope is lost and his physical body is gone so this journey through the pit is bruce yes he beefs up because that guy in the pit says to him um what difference does it make you die here die there who cares (laughs) like (laughs) he says i'm not gonna die here I I need to get back to my city, and then every time he tries to get out the pit, he fails. Until the um the old doctor says to him, "Your your fear is what your is what's keeping you in the pit." And he says, "I'm not afraid. I've never mm. been afraid. I got that purged out of me in the first film." And he says, "No, you need to feel fear again in your bones. And when you feel that fear, you'll escape yeah. because the fear is what keeps you alive." So in the first film, it's literally about him purging his fear. It's so beautifully written that this film, he has to get it back to find yes. a way out of the pit. And then even the bit, me and, me and my wife, Nat, were watching it. And we haven't, obviously, she's not watched it for years since it came out. When he goes on the ledge to jump, he chooses to go without the rope, without the, the, the stabilizers. And then as he's about to jump, bats come out of a hole in the pit and fly around him. Yeah. And you're like, oh, that's such a geeky, wonderful moment to, to relate you back to the first film. And then he escapes and it, it's great. And it's like a proper hooray moment for the, for the film. And I, I remember being absolutely exhilarated by that bit in the film with the chanting, with the, with the climb. I just thought the whole thing is a, a astonishing bit of filmmaking. And then the bit where yeah. he, he, he falls, doesn't he? And then he sees his dad. And his dad's coming down to help him. And yeah, someone on YouTube that I'd, I'd listened to, this is, again, completely not... I'm not taking credit for this at all, but he says something like, if you watch these films in the chronological order, he's first saved by his dad. Um, he's always got Alfred, 
and he's saved by Rachel and then he's saved by Gordon. He's constantly being saved by people throughout these movies until mm. the last film where he's stuck in that fucking pit. He ain't getting out of that pit on his he's not got anyone to help him. And he has yeah. to learn to do it on his own. And that is the best bit. And that's why, for me, when he comes back to Gotham, Batman comes back stronger. Yeah. And it works. And it really does. It works. They always say, don't they, in the, in the hero's journey, if the hero hasn't suffered throughout the journey, that the end of it can't have the payoff it deserves. Well, I think this film has the payoff and then some because the suffering is so bad in this film. Yeah. Do you I, agree? I agree. I think... Yeah, absolutely. I think um, f- hero films that have come out more recently that have been heavily criticised because there is no hero's journey. Uh, there's a lot of films where the yeah. hero starts as all-powerful and ends as all-powerful, hasn't yeah. really learned anything, and, uh, and there, there's, no, there's no weight behind what they've done. They've not changed. They're the yeah. same character they were at the start of the film and at the end of the film, uh, they, they've perhaps become more powerful, but everything <laughs> was already... I, I'm, I, I'm obviously talking about like Ray from Star Wars and things like that. Yeah. There, there's no journey there. No. They, 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 that character was perfect when she started, and she's perfect at the end. And nothing... She's not had to suffer anything. Yeah. And I think that, that often, you know, that criticism you know people say oh you don't support strong female characters but no you look at say Sigourney Weaver's characters in pretty much any of her films she suffers and succeeds through that suffering and becomes out stronger that's exactly the same as Christian Bale's character and it doesn't matter whether they're male or female it's that hero's journey that you have to go through to have that kind of respect from people who are watching the story because yeah. if you're just perfect from the beginning and there's no stakes involved and you know, you know, again in the Star Wars reference, seeing Rey take on Kylo Ren for the third time didn't matter because you know she's already beaten him twice. Yeah. Before it she had training. It loses its gravity, doesn't it? As yeah. A, as, a, as a plot point. Um, yeah. This film, obviously then there's a the bit where Gordon and his men are arrested. They're trying to figure out how to get that bomb stopped. And this is way before Gordon knows anything about Bruce being alive. Um, I love Gordon. Again, we never give Gary Oldman enough credit. I think we do on this podcast, but Gary Oldman owns the third act of this film for me. It's an astounding performance again. And and Gordon rallies all the cops um, and they know they've got to stop this bomb before. Is it tomorrow? I think at the end, it's like tomorrow it's going off. Yeah. They rally everybody. He then goes to Foley's house and Foley said, I'm not going out there. I'm going to get killed. So Foley's hiding. And then he gives him a, a speech about being a coward. And it's really good. And then, and then they get arrested trying to, trying to find the truck that's got the bomb in it. And yeah. Bane sends them to court. And the court is presided over by uh, Jonathan Crane, a.k.a. the Scarecrow. Yes. So we get to see Scarecrow one more time. Really happy that... that um, that they put Killian Murphy in it again, and yeah, he's got like brilliant. he's got like a a big robe sort of what's it called like a barrister's jacket on, but the yeah. the um, the shoulder pad is all ripped and all hay is coming out of the shoulder pad to make him look all yes. scarecrowy. So I like that. Yeah, it's a really small touch, and you miss it if you don't pause it. But he's got there, that so just that little cool bit little... of scarecrow to him, which is just enough for me as a as a as a uh, fan of that character. 
I I didn't catch it watching the film for the podcast. Mm-hmm. I, I it was doing the research afterwards, but I like that. It's very very cool. Yeah. And uh, other things I didn't catch while watching the film, but apparently if you look closely, all the police officers walkie-talkies have DC Comics logos on them. Oh really? Yeah. <laughs> That's weird. <laughs> Which which is really strange detail to put in a film, but yeah, they all have a DC Comics logo on the uh, walkie-talkies. That's great. It's so good. And then he sentences them to death by exile, and they get shoved out onto Gotham's frozen lake or frozen river. Um, yeah. And yeah, then there's the amazing bit. I think, again, one of the best bits in the film, um, where Bruce appears, he takes out a bunch of the mercenaries and then... Gives him a gives Gordon a flare, and the flare gets lit up, and the flare burns the petrol. The petrol burns up the bridge, and then the bridge, the only bridge I think that's still intact in Gotham, is just ablaze with the Bat logo. Yeah, and everyone in the city looks out their windows and sees it, and it's that thing of they're just giving a bit of hope back to the city, and then there's yeah. that wonderful moment where Tom Hardy's like looking out the window, and he just goes, "No way! <laughs> like, there's no yeah. way." He's coming like, back. That's impossible. How can he come and... back? <laughs> and then we get the morning scene where the coppers rally with uh, with Batman. The person who they were previously trying to fight, like bloody arrest for eight years, is now yeah. with them. Um, and then all the mercenaries are with Bane, and the coppers and the mercenaries go to war. James on a full on battle in the middle of New York, or the middle of Gotham City. Yeah, it's oh, like a proper it's... Lord of the Rings style, mate. Battle of of all the armies. Yeah, it's brilliant. It's, it's so, so well done. And it's it's all real. I, like it's about four hundred extras just running up and down the street. I think it was in Pittsburgh that he shot this. Um, outside yeah. Pittsburgh Town Hall, and it's like you've got the snow, you've got the 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 battle starting. Um, Catwoman has the Batmobile, no, the Batpod, and she's been told to go yeah. and help get um you know people out the city. Uh, Robin's also told to go and help get people out of the city whilst they try and defeat Bane and stop the bomb. But Bruce kind of knows that the bomb may just go off anyway. So he might yeah. fail. And it's that thing of he's no longer given up on the idea that failure is impossible. He kind of knows that that is a possibility that they might not be able to do it. So they can try and save as many people as possible. And the last, the third act of this film is just larger than life in it. Like it's just so oh. big. The stakes are big. All the characters have something to do. Gordon's trying to get a thing on the bomb. Um, <laughs> Lucius Fox is trying to stop a thing and and put the bomb back in the reactor. Um, yeah. And then you've got Batman's trying to fight Bane on the stairs and get the trigger off Bane. Um, and Joseph Gordon-Levitt, um, Robin's trying to get kids across the bridge but the coppers are stopping people going across the bridge because they think that they're going to blow the bridge up if they are. You're like, what is going on? <laughs> it's just so yeah. much stuff. It, it doesn't seem to want to resolve any single plot point. It, no. it wants to do them all at the same time. They're all rushing mm. to that same point. Uh, it's, yeah. it, it, it's really energetic. It's as exciting and... as an action. For me, it's as, as exciting as any action film at the end. Oh, yeah. Um, it goes from being a sort of, it, well, it sort of goes from being that Batman film to a war film to a full-on action movie within, like, the space of 30 minutes. Um, yeah. You've got the bit where they fight on the stairs, and it's Bane and Batman. And for me, you just want him to to defeat him so badly because of how much 
crap he's put him through in this movie. Oh, yeah. And then he knocks the cord off, doesn't he? Like he knocks the bit of the mask off or something. And then yes. all the anesthetic or whatever starts leaking out of his mask and he can't fight properly. And then he overpowers him and then he just gives him a good old kick and he kicks him through a window. <laughs> yeah, it's it's such a good, satisfying fight scene. Yeah. And I think it's sort of similar to what happens in Dark Knight. Towards the end of Dark Knight, if, you, if people remember last time we did a podcast, yeah. we, we talked about how there's a bit where Joker stops being funny. Yeah, at the end. When he starts losing. And there's a bit where, and it's that bat signal bit, where Bane stops being cocky. And he starts getting scared, yeah. Yeah, and it's brilliantly done. It's it's like this slow burn of Bane just losing all of the things that made him intimidating before are going. And when Batman realises if he breaks that mask, he breaks Bane. Yeah. That's such a good, good moment, because... You can hear in the fight scene, you can hear uh, Batman's gloves hitting that mask. Mm, trying to stop him, yeah. Trying to break yeah, it. Yeah, you can hear that. Whereas in the uh, initial fight where Bane breaks the bat at the beginning, yeah, uh, you you hear Batman hit, just hitting flesh. Yeah. that you know, Those are the, the hits you hear. Whereas here you hear that sort of metal on carbon fibre sort of clinking that's going on. And it's... It's so cool. You can see he's being more tactical. Yeah, it's great. Um, and then this is the bit where the penny drops, isn't it? Where he's about, you know, he's trying to stop Bane. He asks where the trigger was and says, you'd never, ever give it to someone else. Where is it? And then he gets stabbed by yeah. by Miranda Tate, who's actually Talia Al Ghul, the bloody daughter of Raz Al Ghul. And she's been pulling the strings all along, including Bane's strings. Yeah. Great it's, twist. It, it's a brilliant twist. It's it's probably, I mean, I, I don't know, obviously, all the comic storylines out there, but this is probably the thing that, fe- it's a great thing for the film. Yeah. But from what I understand about Bruce and Talia's relationship in the comics, it's the one thing that doesn't fit the comics as well. Yeah. Because there's a romance between those two, a very real romance in the comics. Um, and it's partly because there, there's uh, an attraction between them, partly because Ra's al Ghul always wanted Bruce to be the next head of the League of Shadows, mm-hmm. uh, and obviously him being with his daughter would make that a real possibility, so it's always encouraged. So the fact that there's this resentment between the two, it's a bit weird, Yeah. but based on the fact that you know, Bruce did kill her dad. Bruce thwarted the League of Shadows once before. It's it, it makes sense for this film. Yeah, it, it, it it does, and it's such a good plot twist. It is. Um, because if you don't recognize that that's going to be Talia, you don't see it coming. Yeah, it's except great. it is telegraphed quite early on that that's who she is. Where? If you watch it, so there's the scene where they meet up at Bruce's house, and Bruce notices she's got a scar. Oh, on her back, yeah. Yeah, and prior to that, she says something about cleansing with fire that's almost an exact quote of what Raz says, what Raz says about how the League works. Mm. So there's, there's lots of little things in the film that say, yeah, this is who she is. Yeah. But you don't, you don't put them all together till the end. 
That's great. Until Bruce does. And, and it's it's just perfectly done. This uh, this act. Then, obviously, Bane, she tells the story about Bane, and we're led to believe in the prison that Bane is a child that grew up in the prison, because that was his origin, wasn't it, in the, in the comic, that he was born mm. in a prison um, and escapes this prison and then becomes Bane. And obviously, at the end, you realise, oh, she's the child in the prison. And yeah. she's escaped because Bane stops people from attacking her. Her mum gets killed and Bane fights them off and gets beaten up really badly. And then Raz comes back to the prison to see if his wife is alive, finds out she's dead and rescues Bane. But Bane's all messed up because of the fight mm. and can't really function. So they make him a little mask to help him. And then Raz trains Bane but can't deal with him because he's a reminder of that pit. So he just banishes him. And then yeah. Bane's story is really sad at the end. And then you realize that Talia seeks Bane out and together they raise their own army to defeat Gotham or destroy Gotham and then fulfill the destiny of Ra's al Ghul. So there's like a bit of that jealous anguish from Talia. And there's a love yeah. story between Talia and Bane, maybe. Or there's yeah. something where, you know, Bane fiercely loves her but knows how dangerous she is and will do anything for her he's so dedicated to her and then at the end they're gonna die anyway because she says doesn't she like we're gonna blow that bomb up and we're all gonna go with it um yeah and then bane says to batman we both know i have to kill you now but you'll just have to imagine the explosion <laughs> <laughs> yeah and then and then catwoman you know comes in and kills him and he finally gets killed proper dead this time he's proper dead proper dead and, he's not just fake dead he's uh, proper dead then there's that amazing sequence with the bat wing which i completely forgotten about when i first watched the film and like watching it yeah. back for the podcast and it's a, it's amazing it's such a good sequence where the truck is going gordon's in the truck there's three tumblers, the three Batmobiles, and there's like the Batwing comes down. It's trying to fire. Then it's like Catwoman's taking one out. Then the Batpods, the Batwing's taking another one out. And these tumblers are just blowing up left, like right, and center in the middle of a street. And apparently they shot all that for real. It was all done practical, including the tumbler. Sorry, including the Batwing, which is suspended on a truck. And it's being driven behind. So it was actually a real Batwing. A real thing. And there, they just yeah. CGI'd out the car that was holding it up. I was like, that is mad. That is so mad. And then it's great. Obviously, there's a bit right at the end where she's trying to, aren't they trying to get it? They're trying to get the truck to the reactor so they can reinstall the bomb into the reactor. Mm. And she's like, no, I'm not having any of that. And then they, uh, and Bruce just fires loads of missiles at her and knocks her off the road instead. Yeah. And uh, yeah, she dies, and the bomb. She says the bomb will not be stopped, and they know it's not going to be stopped because we've got that really helpful countdown on it, which we're not really sure why it's there anyway. <laughs> it's always handy to have a big countdown if you've got uh, a bomb. You want to know when it's going off, Jake. I know. I'm not speaking from experience here, but I assume it's important if you've got a bomb, you've got a good idea when it's going to go off. This is good I, though, because like I remember watching this in the cinema when it first came. I think I watched it at, like midnight when it first happened, and and I, and I couldn't imagine how they were going to get out of this mess do you know what i mean like i didn't yeah. know how it was going to end and i had no idea what was going to happen at all i had you know completely avoided all spoilers for it because i really wanted to feel the film first time as it was and really take it mm. all in and then bruce decides to just winch the bomb up on the batwing and fly it off so you kind of like yeah that's why nolan had to invent the batwing in this film it has to be in it doesn't it for the purpose of the plot 
And again, yeah. there's not really anything in this film you can take out and it'd be better for it. This is what I said about the second one is that there's things I would take out and I think this film would be stronger for it. This film, yeah. there's almost nothing you can take out because everything's just so good. It pays off so well. Like even, yeah. um, I want to go back to it really quickly, but Foley comes back to lead the police, doesn't he, in the battle at the end? Yeah. Um, interesting fact Foley has a death scene. It's not the death scene that we saw, though. So in the movie, Foley's trying to advance up the stairs with the coppers, and Talia gets in the bat pod and in, in the tumbler and says, just kill them all. And then you hear a machine gun fire, and then you just see Foley dead on the floor. But he's not been shot, he's just dead. And then they just drive off. Um, in the original version of this, and it's I think they have shot it, it just wasn't allowed in the film, Apparently, mm. the death of uh, Peter Foley was so grim that they cut it from the film. And wow. apparently, it would have bumped it to a 15 if they'd kept it in. So they had to knock it out for a PG-13 rating. So what happens is, Talia gets in the bat pod, uh, in, the, in the tumbler. Foley sees her getting in. And I think you remember, Foley shoots at her. I think you do see that in the film. And he starts yeah. shooting his gun at at Talia and at the tumbler. And then the tumbler just fucking kills Foley, just runs him over. And apparently Foley hits the tumbler and goes over the top of it. And you just see him crumple onto the floor. Whoa, she just okay, plows yeah. through him. And they were like, if they plow through a copper, it has to be a 15. So they just cut yeah. it. And I was like, oh. kind of sad, but also kind of, I, I get it. You know, it's a yeah. bit, it's a bit much. Yeah. But yeah, Foley it's, gets it's a really, graphic. Foley gets a really good death, which we'll never see. um yeah and then batman tells gordon that i'm batman that i'm bruce yeah and then yeah winches off the bomb and i couldn't really imagine how the film is going to end and then when it ends you're kind of like oh the bomb does go off uh it goes off quite far away from the city but i still imagine it would cause some problems in in the future as it is a nuclear bomb yeah i mean he doesn't go that far away from gotham no no, not, I mean, not he's closer to he's closer to Gotham than say Chernobyl was to Europe, and <laughs> yeah. that still caused some problems. Uh, so yeah. yeah, there's there's definitely um, some issues there, but it's okay because Bruce moves to Florence. Yeah, he's fine. Um, Bruce doesn't even give uh, shit. No, Bruce is miles away from the now nuclear <laughs> dead dead zone that is the sea just off of Gotham. Uh, um, he's he's enjoying uh, he's enjoying his time in Florence, um, giving a, a knowing nod to uh, to Alfred. Yeah, and, it's so and that's good. it. Yeah, it's it's a great way to say goodbye to this version of Batman. I think it, it does so well at tying up all these loose ends. Yeah, I mean, I remember saying to Natalie, I'd never, I didn't realise it first either. Do you know when they're reading off all the the will and testament of Bruce Wayne at the end, um, you get that really sad scene, as I say, you get the scene where, where Gordon reads out Tale of Two Cities um, to mm. the funeral, and the funeral's very small. It's just, it's just Robin, um, Alfred, um, Gordon and um, what's his name? What's Morgan Freeman's name? Uh, Lucius. Lucius Fox. Fox. And they're at the funeral. And mm. then you get the bit where 
yeah um robin gives up being a copper he says i can't deal with the with, with the injustice of this and that no one will ever know who saved the city then you see a beautiful shot of the um, my favorite actor gary oldman sat with the unveiling yeah. of the batman statue in gotham town hall and he just yes. kind of can't look at it can he um mm. oh it's just the, that whole final scene is so powerful and then and then there's the guy the the man at wayne enterprises says oh we can't leave a string of pearls uh on the manifest as lost and you're like oh someone's got the pearls from the beginning which yeah. catwoman steals and then they do the silly thing about oh the autopilot i just want to know about the bloody autopilot he doesn't stop harking on about that autopilot for the whole first act of the film. <laughs> so the fact that, that autopilot... I was, I'd be pissed off if that autopilot thing didn't get paid off because that was yeah. mentioned far too many times. <laughs> I think they even mention it when Bruce comes back to Gotham, don't they? Where, yeah, when he, when yeah he they goes, keep bringing it up. <laughs> when he meets Fox and they're like, I need Fox to get me back in the game. And then they do something and then he goes, how's it going without the autopilot? You're like, oh, fuck off with the autopilot. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so yeah and then you find out that bruce did have autopilot he fixed it before he went off and then he could have escaped and then alfred gets to see him at the end with uh Anne yeah Hathaway. um oh it's so clever so well made and then he hands the bat bat um bat cave to robin robin goes and ascends to become was it nightwing yeah yeah well i assume it would be nightwing but it'll never happen. So it's no. great. But I almost, I like that, don't you? I like that a lot of Nolan's films, I think nearly all of them actually, they nearly all of Nolan's films end with the possibility of something happening next. Yeah. But they're very yeah, much they... a film that's finished. Yeah, they leave you with options. Yeah. And, and that's great. And I think it, he, it was the right call for him to come back to do a third film because mm-hmm. it was the right story to tell. Yeah. Uh, and it, it, does sort of top and tail the Batman story that he was telling. You know, you, you've got the introduction of Batman, got Batman at his peak prowess in Dark Knight, and then you've got Batman giving up the Batman mm. in this film, and I like that. It's, it, it's, it's just a nice story arc that just completes itself. Yeah, it's so good. Uh, right, we'll do some facts, and then we'll get gone. Facts. Lovely. Um, I've given you the Foley one, which is one of my best ones. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, oh God, where have my, where's my list gone? There is a really good one um, about... This is a weird one, actually. I found a really strange one. So do you know the, the plane at the beginning is dropped out of the sky? Um, yeah. It was filmed above Scotland. It was a real plane that was dropped. And a lot of that was done practically because Nolan can't do CGI. He hates it. You know what he's like. Yeah. Um, the actual plane that they were flying on, so the one that they get on with Bane and the one that you see sort of flying across the Scotland Highlands, that plane was um, in an accident in Botswana exactly a year after the film was released. It crashed, killing the pilot and co-pilot, really sadly. Oh, God. So the actual plane that's, I think it's like Z9MHV or something written on the side of it. It's the one that they hijack and the one that you see flying as a, a, you know, a legitimate plane being filmed. Yeah. Yeah, it went down a year after the film. So really strange thing, like strange thing around that. Uh, We've mentioned Foley's death scene. 
Um, Tom Hardy. We said we'd get back to Tom Hardy. Bane's voice was problematic from the start of the post-production side. So they recorded mm. Tom Hardy on set talking with the mask on. And the mask is just like a fiberglass, you know, um, polyurethane-based prop that he wears on his face. It's supposed to be light to be as comfortable as possible. And Tom Hardy does a voice through it. And that's my main impression. <laughs> I um, liked it. It was thank, good. Thanks, mate. <laughs> I mean, we, we'd avoided doing a Bane impression <laughs> this did. entire podcast, you know but I'm really glad you well. did. <laughs> <laughs> That's my Bane impression. This is my Bane impression Why? pre-dub. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds more like Bill and Ben the Flowerpot Men, but we'll go with it. Rubber, love, love. <laughs> so apparently, if you go on YouTube, um, you can actually watch the Bane sequences without the extra dubbing so the dub that's mm. in the movie is the clean dub the actual dub which is the one that was recorded on set with tom hardy is on youtube you can watch it it's really yeah. hard to understand almost the say, point you, that it's you say ridiculous <laughs> it's so ridiculous and um, so yeah they had to redub it and it's been a thing of a, a contention of of many fans of these films and of many christopher nolan critics that bane's voice was a problem um i like yeah. it i think it's cool Apparently, it was based on a gypsy um, bare-knuckle fighter um, that Tom Hardy had referenced, and he said that it was based on a couple of different people, but this idea of a, a gypsy bare-knuckle fighter from, like, the 30s who's trying to put on a a mock, posh British accent is is where it comes from, and, and I do think right. it works. I think for the character, yeah. it's it's mystique. It gives enough of a mystique that you don't quite know what Bane's about or where the hell he's come from. And obviously we know he was in a prison in like the Middle East, so we have no idea what his true origin is. But it's like Joker. You don't need it, do you? You don't need to know where they're from. The mystique is enough. It's fine. Yeah, I think it, it, it works brilliantly. And I, I didn't like the initial audio, but the dub that they've done works fine for me. Yeah. Um, apparently, um, Leonardo DiCaprio... Um, was in talks with Nolan to play a Riddler character in this film originally Ooh, before they okay. went with the Bane character. I don't know in what capacity or whether it's a different script. Um, but yeah, it's weird because you've got J- Joseph Gordon-Levitt, Marion Cotillard, um, God, who else? Tom Hardy. They've all been in Inception before. Yes. And Killian Murphy, all in Inception, all in Dark Knight Rises. So having Leo in there, it'd just be an, it'd just be Inception too, wouldn't it? It'd be too much. Yeah, it'd be t- too much Inception, too Inception. Yeah, they didn't want to ever name Catwoman in the film. They made a conscious effort not to. She's never called Catwoman throughout the entire film. There are several no. references to the cat strikes again in newspapers, and the only cat reference to her costume is the fact that um, when she moves her little goggles up above yes. her head, they look like little cat ears. And that's yeah. it. And they did that deliberately so that it's enough. It's enough that she's Catwoman without her having to be in a stupid Catwoman suit. Yeah, it's great. And I don't know if you know this or if you found this in your research. Go on. Uh, but she was uh, uh, originally cast in one of the Sam Raimi Spider-Man uh, stories. No way. I did not know yeah. that. Yeah. So uh, Spider-Man has a character called Black Cat. Oh, yes, he does, um, doesn't he? Yeah. Um, in, yeah, she's called Felicia Hardy in the comics. Yeah, yeah. and uh, she was cast as that in uh, Sam Raimi's fourth Spider-Man film that never got made. Huh. That's crazy. 
That is crazy. Um, <laughs> I'm trying to find my other one. Yeah, um, I know Catwoman. Apparently, Anne Hathaway says that she believed she was re- um, auditioning for the role of Harley Quinn in this movie. Mm. Which I don't know if that's just something that's made up, though. There's a few stories about it on the internet, but they don't seem to be very... They're all inconsistent with one another, and I don't know why that would ever be a thing, why the Harley Quinn character would have popped up at Dark Knight Rises, but yeah, who knows? It could be interesting. Um, yeah, I think we've covered most of it. I mean, I've spoke to you about my other, uh, my Taylor Two Cities references. They're all in there. Um, yeah, apparently the line that Bane says, you like the one when he says about the kids singing, that that's a lovely, yeah. lovely voice. Apparently it was improvised by Tom Hardy. They just kept it because they thought it was funny. Yeah. Uh, I, really I like, like that. I really like that as well. Um, and the oh yeah, the last one I would I would have mentioned is the amazing theme um, called Rise, which was conjured up yes. by Hans Zimmer, which is the uh, Deshi Basara um, Arabic sounding thing that they shout the chant. Uh, apparently, it's yeah. a Moroccan word, um, and it's the Moroccan word for rise. So they are literally just shouting yeah. rise, 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 rise at. Batman. That's so cool. Which is pretty cool. Yeah, I think it's pretty cool. Yeah. That's it. That's all I've got. I mean, it's just so much. It's just so yeah. good. You can talk about it all day long and it would never get old. But I am uh, no. so glad we got there, James. And I am looking forward to doing, you know, another round of Batman next week. And I think we are going to do Lego Batman. This is only because someone that was listening to us said, um, I hope you do Lego Batman, as if to say, like, you better do it, otherwise I'm going to stop listening to you. So we will yeah. do Lego Batman. I think I've it's only seen it once. Oh, we're in for a treat. We're in for a treat. And I can't remember it. it great so Batman. I really want to watch it again. It's fantastic. And it's much more lighthearted than this film. Yeah. So, so. Yeah, hopefully it'll be a, <laughs> a nice dessert to have after the savoury meal that we've just eaten. I agree. We might have to do that and then do... Um, like the Batman, I we say Batman Beyond. We'll just do whatever. We'll do Batman into the future, and we'll talk about the next, yeah. the future of Batman. And I think we'll then leave Batman alone for a, for a, for a long time. And I'm yes, ready to. Yeah. I'm ready he for a new franchise, aren't you? Definitely. So we'll find something else next week, and maybe something funnier. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> this film is many things, but it's not funny. No, uh, no, it's definitely not funny. Right, James. Thanks for uh, thanks for the chat. And um, I hope we didn't go on too long, everybody. I know people that are listening at home are like, oh my God, are they still talking about The Dark Knight Rises? Yes, we are. We're still here. Yes, we are. It's still happening. In fact, depending on when you listen to this, we'll probably still be talking about it, (laughs) even if the podcast is over. We should do a thing like where we do a really long episode like this where we just go, please pause now. Go and have a bath. Maybe have some (laughs) chocolate and then come back and listen to the second half of The Dark Knight Rises. (laughs) I'll I'll get I'll buy myself a mandolin and we can do an intermission. Definitely, let's do it. <laughs> right, cheers, James. Thanks, guys, for listening. Cheers, Jake. See you later. Take care. See you. Bye. 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 Bye.